Hi, my name is Lloyd Sarbutt, and this podcast is brought to you by Liberia, a bookshop by Second Home. In this episode, I welcome JJ Bowler, an established writer, poet, and UNHCR ambassador who speaks and performs internationally. JJ Bowler's previous work includes his debut, No Place to Call Home, published in 2017 by Own It, and Mask Off, Masculinity Redefined, published in 2019 by Pluto Press. In this discussion, we jump off from JJ's book, Mask Off, and its call for masculinity's forms to be reconsidered, to his new heart-wrenching and raw novel, The Selfless Act of Breathing, which examines mental health, police brutality, and the power of love, a lyrical story for anyone who has imagined escaping their daily lives and starting over. I hope you enjoy it. JJ, thank you for joining me. Um, Yeah, no, it's a real pleasure, a real honour, and uh, I'm really excited to be um, yeah hosting you at Liberia um, in support of launching your new novel. Mm-hmm. So you've got um, you've got a few volumes of poetry. Um, you've got this is your second novel. Yeah, and you've got um, a really really good um, kind of I want to say essay polemic um, that was written for Pluto's outspoken yeah. series yeah. called Mask Off. Yeah, and. I, th- I guess I want to start off talking about Mask Off. Um, one, because masculinity is kind of really being examined. Mm-hmm. Um, there's yourself writing, uh, there's people like Alex Holmes doing podcasts on the subject. Yeah. And some of the um, discussions, the topics you talk about, um, are kind of an influence on the narrative in your new novel. Yeah, definitely. And. I'll be honest. I'm like as I'm getting closer to forty, I've never really spoken about. I've never really had a conversation about masculinity as an mm-hmm. idea, mm-hmm. a construct, a behaviour. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the, what you talk about in Mask Off mm-hmm. kind of resonated. Um, you know, some of the the toxic labels like yeah. "I'm a nice guy," um, "That's gay," yeah. those kind of things. Yeah. So, I guess um, one: How did the Mask Off book come about? And um, I also want to ask, like, how did it influence this novel or just your mm. work in general? So in terms of how it came about, um, I very early on, this is probably like late teenage, early 20 years. Um, I'm quite some way away from that now, I have to admit. Um, and I remember reading um, Bell Hooks, um, Will to Change, and then We Real Cool which were both books on masculinity and black masculinity. Um, And my initial reaction before reading it was, who is this woman to tell me about being a man? (laughs) You know, like no woman can tell me about being a man. I know enough about that myself and so forth. I am a man. And then reading it was absolutely like being taken apart by a stranger and being shocked that a stranger could know you so well. Yeah. And then that was the catalyst for my desire to understand this idea of like um, masculinity, patriarchy, gender and gender issues and so forth. And so I just read more and more from that point. Um, and, you know, I studied psychology at uni, but I was always interested in social sciences and so forth. And then I kind of wrote a few poems on, uh, on the idea um, particularly there's one on YouTube called Real Men in my poetry collection as well 
um, where I'm kind of exploring this idea and I had so many conversations with friends and I found that uh, between myself and a lot of my friends that we were all experiencing the same thing going through the same phenomena but no one we weren't we weren't sharing it with each other and I just kind of thought that it was quite surreal that like the friends when I initially spoke to them about it were in denial and then some kind of opened up a bit later Mm. and then like afterwards it was a full-on kind of like we need to talk about this thing yeah yeah because it, it's right i've never really spoken to friends that i've known for decades mm. about stuff yeah. like this um but you I, I feel like as i'm getting older uh, those kind of barriers are starting to kind of break down and, mm-hmm. absolutely and, yeah like, and, and things are changing in society and that it's becoming more kind of um, acceptable to talk about these issues and we're peeling back the perceived kind of stoicism of uh, men and the expectation that men need to be strong all the time and these kind of like really rigid gender roles but I think also like there's a lot of men who you know patriarchy strips us of our humanity I feel a lot of the times and with whatever's going on in the news you know we've had the recent cases of like um, kind of gender-based violence that's made the news, right? And I think that's made a lot of us like feel really reflective. For example, um, there's an organi- organization um, beyond equality, I think it's called, um, and they work with like raising awareness about issues of like toxic masculinity and patriarchy with young boys, etc. And since the recent issues of uh, gender-based violence has been on the news they've had like an influx of hundreds of men yeah. who have been making inquiries to volunteer and see what they can do. Whereas like previously they would get one or two a week making a general inquiry. But now like loads of men want to do something, loads of schools are booking these workshops to kind of spread ideas about gender equality and so forth. So yeah. I think it's a really important conversation. That yeah, and it sounds like around. it's progressing as well. Because I, yeah. I feel like I'm late to the party on a personal level. But Well, I mean, it's you know what? I think in some ways we all could have known about stuff sooner, right? Like, yeah. I was like, when I read about it, I was like, well, why did it take so long? I wish I'd known about this when I was 12 years old yeah. so that I didn't feel like I had to go through what I went through, right? And so that's what even kind of led me to writing Mask Off because it was like, how can I write something that a kid can pick up and relate to and it can prevent them from making certain mistakes but also someone like older can also pick up and relate to but also prevent them from making certain mistakes as well because we're all just kind of going through stages of learning really um and even myself like as the writer of the book there were so many moments i tell you where i was like okay yeah i know about this thing of course like i've read about it before but then i sit down and i find out some new statistics and so forth and i'm like i have to reckon with my own understanding of this issue maybe i'm not as far along as i thought maybe i haven't let go of certain as I, of certain ideas as much as I thought I had, you yeah. know. So I think like it's just a continual learning process, and as long as you're open to learning, it doesn't matter where like you are in the conversation. You know? As long as you're curious and willing to put the effort in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. I, one of the things I, I felt when I was reading Mask Off was that you you were well ahead on this journey. Mm. Um, it's it's full of empathy and it's very very balanced mm. like the writing I appreciate I, that I was like I'm, I'm in the hands of someone who's kind of almost close to perfecting their craft mm. um, and you also get this 
you, you get this great blend of um, your Congolese heritage. Mm. Um, you open up the book writing um, writing about walking up uh, Tottenham High Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where I yeah. kind of lived up until recently. So, oh, really? Yeah, and I'm kind of sitting there thinking, I can I can imagine this scenario playing yeah, yeah, out. Yeah. And um, and I like the fact you, you were just talking about younger people reading this and not making errors mm. and older generations reading this and not making errors. And they won't make the same errors, will they? Mm. It's more mm. like a, for a younger person... I guess it will be saying, I, you can have these feelings, or, yeah. um, or you can understand that the older generation have this culture that mm. you've not been exposed to, yeah. and and yeah. the older generation can go, oh, actually, what I consider normal, because yeah. of my yeah. heritage, upbringing, history, yeah. is actually not considered um, mm. as uh, prevalent. Uh, yeah. In the streets, in, yeah, the, in yeah, the public yeah. realm as well, because yeah. yeah. there's the um, the you write about the uh, cultures where um, male bonding is actually quite a physical thing rather yeah. than like uh, just being sat in the same room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with yeah. the pint glass in hand. <laughs> um, that's the same image that I had as soon as you said male bonding. Yeah, yeah, that's enough. it. That's 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 yeah. what I growing up in Essex. That was you know, I my my I think success to my dad was me buying him a pint on my 18th birthday mm, mm. which I didn't do mm. um, that's another story <laughs> but you know um, you're talking about generations actually walking and talking and yeah. um, sharing a history mm. so I, I guess um, Mask Off opens with those kind of anecdotes how, how, where on the journey did those um like, did you feel brave and courageous enough to go, I can put this on paper? And mm. how has that influenced your work subsequently? I mean, so I'll preface that by saying this, that I've always kind of been an emotional, sensitive boy. Yeah. Like, and throughout my teenage years, particularly childhood, yes, but throughout my teenage years and older ad adult years as well. And I never really kind of, you know, really believe that whole men don't cry thing I put on the facade yes mm. but like I always knew I was incredibly emotional inside you yeah, know? Yeah. so I had to find a way to kind of like manage that and what allowed me to then write about it was eventually just kind of like creating a bit of distance from it so I can look at things a bit more kind of critically but also with empathy and not with the same kind of like idea of like self-loathing or you know being too self-critical um about my own shortcomings that I should have known better or this or that there's just certain things that unfortunately like are a product of the society or environment that we've grown up in are unfortunately normalized that it does take us a while to realize and understand but I think that I was very lucky to sometimes meet accidentally even just the right people like I went to a few community groups you know, I, I was always more so like quite quiet, reserved, introverted, etc. I definitely love socialising, but also like being on my own a lot. Yeah. And um, I used to go to like some events, community events, like book clubs, whatever, um, during my teenage years particularly. And there were so many like older women who I would speak to, part of the community, like you young guys, you need to read this blah 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 you need to read and it was a, a an older woman um 
who recommended Mask Off to me um, when I was like, when I was in my late teens, and I was like, okay. Um, but I don't. We've lost touch. Like this is pre Facebook, pre any social media. Yeah. Um, but I still remember exactly what she looks like. But I just don't know how I'd even find her. Um, but it was people like that that allowed me to almost like regain my sense of self. Yeah. And then being able to put that on the page, it's like me realizing that that is still a part of me and my story. Like I'm not the person I would be today if I was to completely ignore, the, like and abandon the, my past experiences and my past re- lived realities. Yeah. And so I try to embrace it as much as I can. And, just, and I just think about that kid who just, kind of like a 17, 18 year old kid who just wanted someone to listen to him, you know? and wanted to feel a bit of affection and compassion and, and community and belonging and how that isn't a problematized individual lack you know a lot of the times like when you know part of the stoic nature of the way that we have masculinity or masculine ideas imposed upon us as a man if you need something that isn't basically sex right yeah, yeah. If you need something that's more softer, more intangibles and so forth, then it seems like there's something wrong with you, you know? Like, we even have a culture where, like, just to ask someone for a hug... Yeah, yeah. It just seems like such a a crushing experience, right? Yeah. But a lot of men will feel more comfortable, perhaps, let's say, searching through... searching for intimacy through sex, right? rather than through non-sexual intimacy. So, like, going out to get sex seems easier than going out to just get a hug or to be cared for. Yeah, or, or investing a bit of effort into, yeah, building something that's got a solid foundation. Exactly, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So we're not taught the language of, like, emotional vulnerability and non-physical intimacy. And so we skip over that and go into almost like a survival mode that over time I think erodes our humanity and has like a disingenuous effect on our nature yeah yeah I agree I think um what you touch on that that idea of um like asking like looking for a hug seeking that um Mm -hmm. kind of non like physical sexual um act Mm -hmm. is considered very feminine yeah um and that's I mean even saying that word like it it's seen as uh, derogatory, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which has always been like a problem for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was introverted, I was sensitive, I was mm-hmm. yeah, told, yeah, all of this. I've, <laughs> I've had my sexuality questioned. Uh, um, yeah, same. E- even by my own mum. Yeah, yeah, genuinely same. Yeah, <laughs> genuinely, um, like, absolutely. Yeah, but she couldn't, she couldn't question it directly with me. Yeah. She, she had to go through my older brother as an Because they didn't have enough evidence to... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. ...to confirm, right? Yeah, but then it was like, well, what's going on here? Why aren't you doing the typical things that young men of your age are doing, you yeah. know? Or why is it you like to spend so much time on your own? Or you're not going out chasing after girls? Or, you know, you don't have the same kind of, like... I guess the toxicities of being like 
aggressive or assertive or demanding or this why do you speak softly why are you so patient <laughs> you yeah, know yeah, yeah. these good qualities that yeah, yeah. people so should have like, virtuous yeah. yeah so yeah I've definitely had that and even like amongst some of my friends who are now like really close friends that you know they've revealed over time that yeah I did wonder because I just I couldn't make sense of you and I was just like I just wasn't interested in those things you know but and this is why I also like going into the book um, talk about masculinity as a performance yeah. because what the way that we perform masculinity in one part of the world is very different how it's performed um, in another part of the world so like even just like the holding hand story yeah that for me was like yeah a big revelation when I realised that this is what was actually going on and that in different parts of the world Nigeria India etc like young men will hold hands and I'll never get I'll never forget um, I went to India I've been to India a couple of times and I, this was in kind of like early this is like 2010-ish or something but I was in India yeah in New Delhi and we went out and just had a bit of a day out and uh, we were going to the cinema to watch some cri- side note if you've never been to an Indian cinema you must go it is an incredible experience it's like cinema and pantomime. Like everyone is in the reactions. It's not just silent. Everyone, you are in the movie. Oh, wow. Okay. It is incredible. It is such a rush, right? Um, but outside the cinema, when we were making our way, there's all these, you know, all the young, cool guys are there. It's like Friday or Saturday or whatever. Mm. And they're walking down the street looking cool and edgy, but they're all holding hands. You know, okay. finger like fingers entwined, like some even swinging and stuff. That stuff that like, if this was London, like that, yeah, eyebrows would be raised. Yeah, at best. Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I mean? <laughs> like at worst, it's getting very. There'll be words exchanged. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, and I was just seeing that I was like, wow. And then like, just made friends with some of the people out there, some of the people that I was talking with, and just having like a guy who, you know just like we're talking and it's just like holding hands and mm. so forth and that's a sign of like a connection and in that culture if you reject that it's kind of seen as like you know rude which yeah. is understandable um, like that versus like some of you know some cultures around the world I mentioned the Wadabe of West Africa who in that group like the, the men wear like the makeup and put on this annual kind of like festival to try to be chosen yeah. by um, women and you know it's the men who who kind of want to make themselves look pretty for the girls and so forth and it's the women who decide which man they want yeah and so those little kind of like nuances and variations like they they exist all over the world but somehow we get this we get imposed upon this like strict and strict idea of how masculinity should be and, you know like we're we, we live in a connected enough society that we should be able to like abandon that idea now. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's, it's interesting that those kind of cultures have preserved those um, traditions mm. and actions, mm. and Western culture seems to have there, there seems to have been a a, a switch flipped mm-hmm. or flipped at some point because if you go to like ancient Greek, Roman, those behaviours were prevalent then. Mm. Um, yeah, you yeah, even yeah. saw it, um, is it Louis the 
Louis the 14th. The 14th. Yeah, 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 with the high heels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I always get my Roman numerals confused. Um, I was like, was it the 16th or the 14th? Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. to be fair, it was all Louis. Like, they were all... They, were they all, all wore tights. Yeah, all wore tights, all wore wigs, all yep. wore some kind of shoes that were not your typical masculine shoes. Yeah, so, yeah. I did high, you know... Yeah, like um, makeup, blush. Yeah. You know, and it's funny, like, these were men who are seen as like the aristocrats the elites of their society and so forth but they were wearing wigs high heels makeup tights all of these things yeah um and being seen as more more alpha yeah Yeah, more alpha yeah it's incredible isn't it and and something's gone yeah Um, and i think like we also have to have a conversation about like you know, the fact that capitalism definitely has played a, a, a factor in this. Then I think, like, let's say, like, you know, the whole, um, g- like, the genderizing of young people, for instance, you know, boy, f- uh, blue for a boy, pink for a girl. Like, if you can sell one T-shirt, right? Like, if you sell one T-shirt for $10, okay, cool. You might sell 100 T-shirts. But if you can sell two, one is for people who want to buy it in blue and one is for people who want to buy it in pink and you attach ideas to it yeah then you just have to you can sell 200 t-shirts now do you know what i mean like you can do all these kind of variations where you can have okay shampoo for women and then man shampoo like there's always these kind of like man whatever yeah, yeah. it just you just add man in in front of the same thing that i think i had a teacher at junior school that said uh, diet coke or diet pepsi and pepsi max were the same drink but one was advertised towards females yeah. and one was made really high testosterone, you know. I think the advert was a downhill biker. It was like, how how male can you get? And, <laughs> yeah. But ultimately, it's the same drink and we're all being hoodwinked. Yeah, yeah, um, genuinely. And there's so many products. Someone should do an analysis, but there's so many products that are just like that. I mean, this is essentially the same thing, but you just add... Manscara. What is Manscara? I, I, I can't confess to know, but... Yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean? You just add man in front of something. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it, it makes it more masculine just because you've added that, but it's the same product. And again, this is all ideas of just essentially that boils down to kind of like reinforcing the capitalist nature of things and the hierarchy. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess one thing I kind of want to explore them would be how do, how do you break that down like, I think it's just about I think the first thing is that education mm. you know making people aware in whatever way through art through books through conversations and connections and so forth that this is not the norm yeah. right this isn't some natural order of things a lot of this is what we whatever you know society civilization have agreed upon yeah. and we can actually change our mind about things. You yeah, know, renegotiate. We, yeah, we can renegotiate. And that renegotiation has been happening for centuries, yeah. right? Like there's always a cultural renegotiation, no matter what, and especially with masculinity. It's like there's never been, you know, a period where masculinity is absolutely fixed like all the time. There's constant renego- renegotiations. And so it's like, I think the first step is making people aware making sure that they're educated and so forth mm. with at least some examples that help liberate them from the toxicity of what we're in for, like what's in, we're 
like imposed it on the day to day. Because if you think about it now, for so many young people particularly, the images that they're exposed to on social media and on TV, all these different platforms, like yeah. it's way more than it was like 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So I think the first step is our education and the knowing. And then I really think that there has to be structural changes as well. Um, as I talk about some suggestions in the book at the end, like what you can do and so forth, but that's more on a personal or interpersonal level. But I really think like one of the biggest changes that come is like needs to come fundamentally from a structural level. So that's where we're incorporating certain lessons in school. Yeah. Um, you know, making sure that there are certain kind of like systems in place or structures in place that can help uh, young men dealing with certain things, young women dealing with certain things, people of various gender identities dealing with certain things. Um, and that will hopefully like kind of lead to some progress along the way, you know. But, yeah. And and the idea of um, masculinity, you talk about it in Mask Off, that it's not the same as patriarchy. Mm-mm-mm. And masculinity already uh, assumes a singularity, but yeah. there can be plurals to yeah. anything. Yeah, um, yeah. So I guess that's one of the things that can be rene- renegotiated. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be hyper-aggressive energetic you yeah. can be more reserved quiet mm-hmm. introverted yeah and get that blend of hey i'm gonna go out with my friends but then the next week i'm like i need time for myself yeah i yeah, need to yeah. recharge yeah which is i think where i had problems growing up you mm-hmm. know you go into your room and it was like this mm. is I'm, I'm rebuilding energy yeah, yeah yeah and you're getting interrupted every 10 minutes yeah like, yeah how are you doing you're all right yeah yeah, yeah i'm fine <laughs> if you leave me alone <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah, I definitely went through that phase as yeah. well. And it's so funny, just that whole... Because before you know something, you don't realise this is what you're doing. Before you can name the process, right? Mm. Before you found the language to articulate your experience. But I really remember, like, you know, quite strongly having to have my own downtime, my own re-energising time. And years ago, like, I got into face masks and oil baths and all of that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember talking to my guys about it, and I'm like, guys, just try this face mask. And I was like, oh, bruv, whatever, come on, da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, years later, now it's like, so what was that face yeah. mask <laughs> <laughs> you do? Oh, it's like, oh, oh, I tried that bubble, oh, I tried the bath bomb. Mate, that's amazing. Yeah. And for me, it was just like, you know, we're so tightly wound all the time. It's really difficult just as anyone, but as a man particularly, to be so tightly wound, to be so kind of on edge all of the time, right? That that kind of remains in your body, you know? And we have to find ways to like alleviate ourselves of that. Um, And those actions, they're not the end result. They're sometimes just a proxy. Like putting on a face mask means you're gonna stay in for 10 minutes or having a bath bomb means you're going to slow down yeah, exactly. for however long that bath exactly. goes on for. And exactly. that's what you don't do in a like a hyper-capitalist yeah. Yeah, like day-to-day existence. Yeah, you're supposed to just go out and conquer and reconquer. Yeah. You know, on multiple conquests like every day. And not pause time. for breath and, yeah. and not consider how you feel. Exactly. Like, and check in. And I think these are things that, yeah, uh, your book kind of starts asking us to consider and question mm-hmm. and deconstruct and mm-hmm. and reconstruct in a in a better way mm-hmm. um i'm guessing we come into that point where i want to talk about how all of this has influenced your new novel yeah so 
um, we're going to put in a disclaimer. There's going to be spoilers. Um, we can't, yeah, we can't avoid it. So if you don't want to hear, <laughs> uh, stop listening um, until you've read the book and um, then rejoin us. Yeah. Um, um, wow. So the selfless act of breathing. So Michael, Michael's the protagonist, the main character, and he is on the surface appears to have everything together you know he's a teacher teacher in a city school um doing well in terms of like his job really passionate about it respected by his colleagues and so forth um he's got you know friends he's got kind of like potential romance etc he's got a bit of money saved you know especially in this kind of like inner city london like it's yeah. not on a teacher's salary on a teacher's well. salary like he's doing yeah. all right like you know what i mean he lives at home with his mum still figuring things out, he's approaching 30, and that's always the year where there's that kind of like, or the, the what the couple of years before 30, where there's a bit more added pressure, where you feel like you have to be at a certain point. Yeah, you're, you're taking things. stock, and but you're also yeah. feeling judged. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, exactly. your 20s are for messing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, late 20s, you start to see the rest of your friends get it together, and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing with my life type of thing, right? Yeah. Um, and he's also someone who has experienced um, a certain level of kind of trauma growing up um, regardless of what he's been able to achieve and I think also just in terms of like the community that he's in the history of and this doesn't really get spoken about but I guess like spatial trauma where you can walk I mentioned the bridge a lot right but he's now and there's a scene where he's walking back over the same bridge that he used to pass as a teenager in tracksuits and so forth and some of his friends that he knew kind of sell drugs were on that bridge but yeah. now he's walking back as an adult in brogues and a and tie trench coat. and a trench coat yeah. coming back from work right yeah. but like the history of that spatial trauma this is what happened here like still lives on but he's not that person anymore and, and so what does that mean for someone who's still carrying that um and beneath all of that, he's going through quite a heavy um, existential, I mean, definitely I would say like mental health crisis at the same point, but that's very subdued. Yeah, it's like a malaise, but yeah. malaise feels like it, it's, you know, not as uh, serious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas what he's going through... Like some of the writing um, mm. and some of the points you touch on, I, I feel like I have been there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I didn't know. But you know, mm. they're, yeah. they're deep funks. That exactly, and that's what I was trying to do. I was like, sometimes you you're not even aware that you're there, yeah. and just the research shows that like it takes up to two years for someone who is experiencing particularly like the early signs of mental health issues before they seek help, right? Um, and I just thought, I, I want to go to, like, the, the most deepest, unfiltered thoughts that this person is having. Um, that the, the thoughts that someone has just within themselves that they don't feel comfortable yet sharing with anyone else, yeah. right? And what that can lead to if it remains unshared. And how those thoughts turn into feelings and then actions if that unravels and goes further and further. And so he's quite, like you know, deeply isolated as well, regardless of how socially connected he also is. And I think just as anyone living in any major city 
can really feel that especially London where you can know so many people but you just kind of feel like you're on your own the whole time yeah there's a degree of anonymity about London I kind of like it on some right on some days you're like yeah like I can just move through a crowd and I don't really want to stop and say hello to everyone and whatever whatever and then some days you're just like man I just want someone to shout my name out yeah Yeah. like and run up to you and just give you a hug and just be like how you doing man or or just a random connector with a stranger and you talk for a little bit yeah yeah. and I think he's definitely someone who kind of like fluctuates through all of those stages Um, and I mean writing him was very interesting because I'd be lying if I said that there was no connection to myself because like you can't really go that deep without bringing parts of yourself into the uh, yeah. into the character. Like, it it, you know it felt mean? like an obvious question to ask, and I mm. I was going to ask it. I've even got it <laughs> like, in my notes because you can't you can't write as honestly as you have mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. Michael um, as a character mm-hmm. without having lived it. Yeah, it, it, yeah. You can't do it through anecdote alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a complete empathy in there. Yeah, and so I wanted to really explore this. And I felt like I was at a stage where I was ready to have like kind of this conversation about this subject and about this kind of writing, but in a in a modern kind of setting, right? Where, you know, because, and also for me, I studied psychology, I work in mental health. So yeah. there's several times where I've had conversations with people who feels exactly how Michael feels and have said to me, like, they want to do what Michael wants to do or plans to do, right? And so it's like, how do you sit and listen to someone who's experiencing that? Um, and, and, and not really, because we live in a world where, like, the culture of fixing things, right? This is how you feel, this is what you need to do, right? Yeah. Not really rushing to fix this person. People don't need fixing. They need being listened to, being validated, and having that connection. So what I was trying to do with Michael is like get people to just really sit with him. Yeah. Don't try and fix or judge whether he makes the right or wrong decisions. You know, like it's like okay, he has a certain amount of money, and some people are like, oh, but his life is fine. Yeah, he should like, be happy. He should be happy. Why yeah. is he? Oh, this is unrealistic because he's not happy. You know, he he should be happy. His life is fine. He hasn't suffered enough. Like, and yeah. then there's almost like um you know, a, a, a litmus test of how much you have suffered for you to be able to feel a certain way. When everything is relative and sometimes like we are experiencing trauma that we're not even, we're, we're, we're living and manifesting the experiences of trauma that we're not even aware that still exists in us and in our body. There's um, a book called The Body Keeps the Score where um, it talks about like the effects of trauma on the body yeah. and I mean, obviously, in terms of like mental health as well, but just like on the body and how that continues to live through us and manifest in ideas of isolation and so forth. And also, there's an amazing um, psychiatrist and professor um, who wrote a book called Oh, his name how his name escapes me at the moment. I can't believe this. What's the Doctor uh, jo- Thomas Joyner, I believe his name is, um, and he wrote about the interpersonal theory of suicide and his his writing is amazing like and he just um he talks about lonesomeness burdensomeness and isolation um about these contributing factors and just how like it never manifests the same for each person it's such a like individual manifestation and experience and uh really like 
people are looking for connection mm. and um, kind of like a, a, an understanding of self and their life and all of that. And I think that we hedge so many of our ideas around that, around mental health, particularly on how well your life is going you know yeah it's kind of predicated on this idea of success yeah, yeah. and then if you are successful then all is okay is fine yeah. but you know you should be fine you have nothing to complain about and then um then if things are going downhill then okay this is this is what looks like a respectable crisis situation let's help yeah. this man and i think like i also speak to like about empathy you know can we just show empathy for someone like regardless you know and I think for me it was definitely like an exercise in empathy and also for myself because there's definitely times like where I'm I mean although I'm writing it it's weird I'm writing the story and at the same time I'm learning to be empathic about the character that I'm writing about yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean like, absolutely so it's like I, I there's lots of things that I had to check myself for because I don't agree with the decisions that he's made but I'm like this is the decision that he's made you know this is someone who needs support like spoiler alert spoiler alert (laughs) (laughs) he goes to the bar has a wild time and uh, decides to buy out the bar like you don't have the money (laughs) like do you know what this means to you right now like you know but that's a decision that's been made and so what are you going to make someone feel worse about themselves or better about themselves? Are you going to judge or are you going to understand? And I think we spend so much time judging, alienating, further isolating people that for me what I was trying to do is just get people to sit with an experience that isn't necessarily their own. And yeah. if it is their own, like people can find themselves in one part or another. Like it's not, there's no one who's going to be like, this is exactly my experience because, you know, that's just not what, books are for like because books are like a window you know yeah. like they're not we, writers don't try to remodel the house you grew up in it's just a way for you to look into another home and you see ah, oh, that room was like mine or so forth and so forth yeah yeah um i mean that's why so, i read you know yeah. that, that i i don't want to read about my own experience exactly um, because <laughs> i it's boring um, <laughs> right but yeah, I, I want to read about different cultures, different experiences. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah kind of um, grow that way. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, um, some some of the things I, uh, that Michael goes through, mm. even kind of minutiae, there's mm-hmm, like uh, mm-hmm. interactions with mm. uh, people where I, I recognise that same moment happening in my personal history mm. and making the decision Michael made. Mm-hmm. But now looking with that kind of... Uh, you know, a few more decades and laps mm. Uh, mm. on the clock, and going, mm. yeah, I I've been there, but that some uh, someone was actually reaching out. They were mm. they were making an offer, and I didn't take them up on that. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, you kind of see those moments, mm. and I think that's um, I mean that's a testament to some great writing as well because oh, the you. writing's clean, like it's it's unfussy. You. you can tell you're a poet. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've got this theory that uh, poets make some great novelists. Cause, um, oh, thank you. You know, I appreciate yeah, that because yeah, like, a lot of time there's question marks over no, whether no. us poets can write fiction. You know? No, no. There's um, one of my favourite novels ever. Um, uh, the Minotaur takes a cigarette break. is written by uh, the oh, poet wow. Stephen Sherrill. Yeah. And 
Yeah, the language used is just, mm. um, it's, it's, you can tell they've crafted it. Mm. They, they could mm. have been lazy, but mm. poets aren't lazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, yeah. I can see it. In, oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, just, that's made my day that <laughs> I, uh, reading the book I was just like I, I'm, I'm getting on with this so well like, mm. and I thought oh, it's because yeah it's, you, you measured it mm. and mm. the story um, as a guy it resonated really strongly mm. I asked my colleagues who are all female and they they got a different experience mm. not, mm. not necessarily uh, an incorrect one but mm-hmm. I felt like for me it was more profound whereas for them mm. it was a story but yeah for me yeah, it was yeah, just like yeah. oh my god there's personal history here yeah um, yeah and i think you know that's that's gonna be kind of like a natural thing like some people are gonna sit inside of mm. the story some people are gonna sit outside yeah of the story and look in right and i think both are lessons in empathy both are lessons in kind of like understanding human nature understanding ourselves better because you know you don't have to have experienced something to relate to it yeah. right something doesn't have for for something to be real it doesn't have to have happened to you and I think we lose sense of that a lot of the times where we completely invalidate someone's experience just because it hasn't happened to us right or just because it doesn't look like how it doesn't look like for them how it looks like for us you know yeah and that's what I just wanted people to to do with with Michael and everyone's going to take away something else from it but I think on a general level, it's just like, well, can you just slow down and sit with this person? Yeah, and some some of the um, some of the actions Michael takes, I think as a reader, um, you might you might see them as far fetched, but mm. uh, like flying to San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, why San Francisco? Why you know, you know it's those yeah. Kind of, yeah. I so personally, I have been to a few, quite a few cities in America. Mm. Um, beyond like what's just written in the book um, and I, there are certain cities that I just loved uh, but what I also wanted to do symbolically as well so firstly America was because it's this whole idea of like land of the free mm. um, and what that symbolises like freedom freedom you know in terms of like a political level but also freedom like an intrinsic freedom you know like as much as we talk about freedom like what does it tangibly mean you know the ability to have agency or self-actualize is it kind of more spiritual is it physical is it like what does the autonomy mean in terms of freedom and I thought I would play with that idea a little bit with America but starting with San San Francisco and more so West Coast and working his way East Coast um, was more a symbolic journey like for me in the sense that he was going almost like full circle um, and then well you know what happens so I can say this right yeah yeah and go, <laughs> go, go for it spoiler alert um. <laughs> and then and then just coming to the point where he finds himself where he is at the end and then that's where he's like come back to himself almost um, and then all the experiences along the way each one causes a slight shift in him um, and his circumstance and his ideas around certain things to the point where you know I mean some of it is quite bleak and hopeless but like man look at the world yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like 
You know what I mean? But then some of it is also like hopeful and optimistic. But then also like look at the world, like you know. So for me, I never want to sit too far on either side. Like I am equally as much a I don't know cynic and pessimist and general miserable person, right? As I am an optimist and hopeful and joyous. Like I think I experience both spectrums quite deeply because that's just like the lived reality of the world you know and that's what that's the journey that I wanted to kind of like take him on and, yeah, and yeah. share with people you know so but it's interesting that we hold on to I feel like the positives the joys and so forth mm. is way more fleeting and in general like if you have a great day you feel happy you feel that sense of happiness and joy with almost like a pinch of salt, right? Because you know, well, I can't be happy forever. Like, you're just waiting for what's going to ruin it. Yeah. You know? And so you, <clears throat> you, you brace yourself for the impact of, like, the disastrous thing. But when it comes to, like, feeling down and so forth, like, that almost becomes a normal experience because we're told so much negative about, like, the world and about life and anything. Yeah. We normalise yeah. that. And so it's like, well, how do we get ourselves out of that a little bit? How do we find things to live for? Um, there's a, I've been reading a bit on like narrative therapy and there's a, um, a, a, a psychiatrist who wrote a book called The Art of Narrative Therapy. Some, is it Sue Hamkins? I think that's her name. Um, and she writes about uh, one of the patients who she worked with. Yeah who was experiencing like extreme bouts of anxiety and depression. And she asked the patient, um, you know, what what person, like patient's expression that like suicidal ideation, they don't want to live anymore. And asked the patient, what percentage of you do you think like you don't want, that doesn't want to live? And the patient said 90%. And then, um, so the psychiatrist said, okay, well, Ten percent, right? Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly the patient was like, "Oh, like," and so they spent more time talking about the ten percent. And in that ten percent, they found that they had like interest in arts, cultures, community, social networks, etc. All of these things that were rich and thriving, but she just never spoke about or never got the opportunity to speak about because so much of it was like that ninety percent. Yeah, yeah. You know? And that, if that adds five years, ten years. 20 years to someone's life like that's amazing yeah, do you know what I mean and that 10% is the purpose yeah like that's and I'm the like I never thought I'd like I'm in my 30s right hmm. and I'm approaching 40s as well like it's not that far away from me yeah. and I'm like I firstly didn't think I would be at this like I never conceptualised what it would mean to be the age that I'm at now and when I was going through my periods where it felt like life was there was not really much to live for or wasn't as enthusiastic about life I just wish someone would have spoken about that 10% to me that I had family I had friends I had shelter I had all of these things and that I just needed to kind of find that connection again you know and so that's all just kind of like out there and part of the part of the journey I think yeah yeah I agree I I don't think anyone's ever kind of asked me to focus on the 10% I think I just kind of stumbled on it yeah 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 like um you know, through failure, of yeah. all things. You know, um, going to a, do an art degree, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not an artist. I mean, I dabble, 
Yeah. But I sell books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was that was something I discovered through doing the degree, mm-hmm. uh, reading mm-hmm. more because mm-hmm. high school killed reading for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Same. Um, yeah, just yeah. Y- you have like a dead English teacher. Oh who... my gosh! Yeah, shout out to my English teacher. <laughs> How I ended up being an author and having them as a teacher. Don't you can't take credit. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, rain it in. Um, I'm I'm the same. I I mean my art teachers were amazing, but my English teachers they they've got yeah they yeah. can claim no credit for yeah. the, the bookshop I manage. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. it's not down to you. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's down to an art degree and uh, an and author. Just, your own gen like your own general inquisitiveness as well like i think life is about also like self-discovery mm. you know you realize that like it's not just one thing and then that's it you're constantly evolving as a person um and along the way you find out more and more about yourself and i think like even for me growing up like dreaming of becoming a professional basketball player and putting all of my efforts towards that and then suddenly realizing that this dream isn't the path for me but then not knowing not having any motivation you know not have not not being able to get out of bed not being able to do the things that I so naturally and easily done before and just being like well what do I do now like losing my sense of like will and purpose and all of this and having to accidentally like find myself along the journey and then now it you know when people say to me wow like you you know you've really figured out or what you need to do in life or this is your purpose and so forth and I'm like but I'm not sure because like a few years ago yeah. I thought it was basketball right yeah. like and I was absolutely convinced that this was what it was going to be at one point I wanted to be a teacher as well you know I wanted to be all these other things that lots of them did not work out yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I have definitely failed more times than I've succeeded but one thing that's just kind of like remained constant is the the searching in, in the discovery and the reinvention you know so as much as like okay I'm an author now mm. like great but I, am I going to be an author forever I don't know I'll try and write as many books as I can and then when it's no longer time for me to write books like I'll move on and let someone else you know take occupy the space. space yeah yeah because like, you I mean you, you, you've talked about um, keeping a diary and mm-hmm. that's I'm guessing that's how you kind of finessed the craft of writing but mm. you you do more things than just write books mm-hmm. like you've touched on it in this conversation you, you're an ambassador you you're doing stuff for your 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 country uh yeah uh, the democratic republic of yeah. congo right and you're doing social work yeah and yeah i mean you can you can tell like how much that's kind of mm. enriched your life but mm. all of those are options aren't they exactly exactly and i think each like thing each pursuit reveals a different part of yourself that you didn't know to yourself you know and there's parts of me where I was like well, I didn't realise I had that much patience yeah you know yeah. like I, did, I didn't realise I had that much empathy or that much heart or I didn't realise I cared about that thing and I think it you know, like random but today um, went into one of the bookshops that we visited had a little puppy I'm not even usually a dog person okay right? This puppy came and was just like ran up to me. I was like, <gasps> I was just, oh my gosh. Just picked it up and we just had this really cute bonding moment. And I was like, wow, like this is amazing. I'm not a puppy person. I don't like I've never had a dog or whatever. And suddenly yeah. I was like, I would I would like to do this. You yeah, know? dogs are cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, and and I think you just learn, you just constantly learn about yourself. And I think 
that is is exciting one of the mm. most exciting parts of being human is anything else and I think too much we focus on this narrative for like success and failure you know especially in this era of what I would say is a kind of like the motivation era which is essentially motivation aka or like the motivation industrial complex or aka just surviving capitalism right yes, yeah. like I, I, <laughs> Surviving capitalism is, I think, where I'm at. Do you know what I mean? Like, am I motivated to get up to do this thing or do I just need to pay the bills? You know what I mean? And it's a scale, right? It's a fluctuation. And absolutely, some days I'm like, damn, I need to just pay this bill. Okay, suck it up, you know? And then other days I'm like, I absolutely love this thing, you know? So even if I didn't get paid or whatever, whatever. I'm doing it. I'm I'm all in. I'm doing it, yeah. Like, and so that's one of the that's part of the nuances of life you know you can't just like fix it upon one thing and I think too much we focus about like whether or not someone is successful or not you know and then a person who's considered successful gets put on a platform but rather than like thinking about I don't know maybe like ideas or compassion or humanity or overcoming like how what was your experience of getting out of bed today and just being able to carry on? What makes you believe in tomorrow? Yeah. You know, because fundamentally, like this, this whole idea of like social constructivism, we've all agreed upon these things that we participate in, right, somehow. And we weren't there to make the decision about entirely about how it's run, but we have some agency in it. And so what's the intrinsic individual thing that keeps you going right yeah because the body has it's interesting the body has an almost like innate survival mechanism your body will always try to keep itself alive like somehow but your mind you know if it's not in its healthiest state can sometimes work against that you know it can be a battle of body and mind right and it's like so for the choices that we make in terms of our loved ones in terms of our friends families careers whatever like, what is the thing that keeps us believing in tomorrow? Everyone has a different reason, you know? And so it's like trying to tap into your own thing and just take that along with you, you know? And there's no right or wrong. Like, some people will believe in this thing. That might not be your thing, but that's what they believe in. Your thing might be this, and their thing might be that. And so how do we kind of, like, allow that to play out in our own lives? Yeah, just, like, negotiate it, live it. Yeah. And just uh, just be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's cool. Um, I, I kind of want to leave it there to be. Yeah, that's how Thank you for listening. I wish to thank JJ for sharing his time, craft and personal experiences. Visit our website, liberia.io, for news of future events and book recommendations.